Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Okay, so for Sunday Bayo, first message, God spoke to me really clearly about what to preach, and, and, he, and he told me to share with you the three things that completely changed my life when I walked through these doors and actually dove into the Word of God for the first time in my life. I grew up into a, in a Christian home. I was saved at the age of four. It was a very religious, conservative Christian home and church, and um, they taught a lot of really great principles and how to be obedient to the Word of God. Um, I, re- I remember growing up there was a lot of rules to this whole Christianity thing in the church I grew up in. People were kind. They were, they were sincere, um, a little judgy, a little critical, a little controlling. But nonetheless, I think they were well-intentioned. And uh, I believe, I truly believe that with the best intentions, they taught me everything that they understood about the Bible with the level of revelation that they had about the Word of God um, in that time in their life. And then I went to a small Christian college here in San Diego that only really reiterated um, the conservative Christianity with a lot of rules and regulations. Um, you, you just heard a lot about the principles of God, but I never heard, heard about the power of God, nor did I ever see the power of God manifest in anyone's life. Um, and I found myself in my in my 20s, needing more than the principles of God. I needed the power of God. I needed something to break. I needed something to shift because things were not going well in my life. And just reading his word and trying to live the best I could by his principles until and how he tells us how to live wasn't cutting it in that time in my life. And, and it, the, I'm like, where are all the miracles that happened in the Bible? Like, I never see anything happen. It seemed like prayer was completely pointless. It's like, why do we even pray? Nothing happens and nothing ever gets answered. And Everything I was taught was not working. I found myself in my 20s completely riddled with a spirit of fear. It is a spirit. It's a spirit of fear um, to the point where it led to me so controlling to, to have the illusion of safety around my life that I became a complete psycho. And you'll hear, hear more about that. I share the, all of it. I share all of it over time. I'm, I'm like probably one of the most transparent preachers of all time. But I was a complete psycho. Like I controlled everything, everyone. I was like a stalker. Um, and, and I was just, I just was trying to make sure no one ever hurt me again because I'd been so hurt in my past and, and I was ruining every relationship. And, and I remember John even, it was like ruining our marriage because I, I had, I was so fearful and it caused me so much anxiety. It wasn't just like normal anxiety, like a little bit of worry. It was all consuming anxiety. What would actually paralyze me? Like I didn't want to leave the house. And if we were going to leave the house into a situation that might cause me anxiety, it was like, I would just spiral out of control and a heap on the floor. It's like I couldn't breathe. It was overtaking my life. I had suicidal thoughts. I felt depressed. I felt hopeless. I felt sick in my mind. I was physically sick in my body. And all that they could do is the doctors were just like, we can prescribe more medication. And nothing was working. And I found myself in a place where I needed more than just the principles of God. I needed a powerful encounter with God, but I did not know how to find it. I didn't know where it was because it wasn't in the church that I was raised up in. And so I realized, though, is that I had only really been taught about the Word of God. 
I never fully, in all of my Christian upbringing, never really dove into the word of God for myself. And so I started to realize that the things that I had been taught, maybe, maybe there was more to it than what, what I had been taught. Have I really been taught the whole truth? I couldn't determine that for myself at that time because I never really dove into to the scriptures. Um, and I really remembered recently just how imperative it is when we hear something for the first time, especially our young people. Can you imagine just this, they're soaking up everything, then they hear something that's presented as the truth, and, and that becomes kind of like their basic foundation of information they have about that topic. And if you never actually seek out to discover if that is the truth, by default over time, it becomes truth to you. If you don't discover if it was really the truth or a lie. So then these truths that were told us or taught us are actually false truths, but we believe them to be true. And then we live like that's our truth. And then we can even argue our truth that's not really the truth to other people. And, and I need to say there's one truth. There's one truth. There's not a whole bunch of different truths out there. There's not your truth. You can, you can feel free, have at it, to have your own truth. But the fact of the matter is there's one truth. The truth. The word of God. And I just want to be talking about today, the truth. There's one truth. And any other truth that's outside of this truth is a lie. And it will lead to destruction. And we see that happening in our world so rampantly, don't we? Living by my truth will never lead you to life. It will always lead you to destruction. So some of the things, like I said, I'm going to share with you might be contradictory to everything that you were raised to believe if you grew up in, a, in, in church. Um, maybe it's not. Maybe it's all just refresher and new information or, or information that you already know and you already live by it. And it's just going to be a really great reminder today. But I want you to know that um, I really struggled when I came into this church because of all these truths that I thought were truth, but they were really false truths. When I came into the doors and they started actually preaching the whole truth, I started to manifest a little bit because my, my false truth was my truth. And, and you are unbiblical. You, you are not preaching correct theology. And I was offended at everyone and offended at everything. And everything they were preaching, I'm like, that is not Bible. That's unbiblical. And I would get so ruffled whenever I would come into these doors. But then I realized, like, but I felt my spirit kind of being drawn into this house. But then I was like, in my head, it was just like such a mental game. I didn't even like the fact that everyone was nice. I was like, why is everyone so happy? Like, there's no way you can be this happy if, you just have to, if you're just following all the rules in this book. I saw people worshiping God with their hands lifted, and like, some people would cry, and I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> it's like they were passionate about their relationship with God. Like, they really loved him and like knew him. And I was like, I've never felt that. I mean, I know a lot about God, but I've never like felt him or like felt I ne needed to or wanted to worship him and honor him and adore him and thank him. You know, so all of it was foreign. Like that even just ruffled my feathers. I'm like, you are not all that nice. You're all fake. You're all fake. 
And so, I mean, everything ruffled my feathers when I came into the doors. And so this church really, really challenged me. And it challenged me because even though I had a powerless Christianity, I knew God, I knew of his word, and, and, I, and I didn't want to go to a cult. And I didn't want to participate in a church that was unbiblical or, or lacked theological understanding. And so because I really wanted, I was like at war with my spirit and my mind, what I had been taught, I, I had to go to the word of God. I didn't go argue with everybody. I knew to go to the word of God. But the first, it was the first time in my life I went to the word of God to really understand and a real hunger and desire to know the truth. I, because up until that point, because I, I basically lived my, my Christianity based on what I was taught and what I was told. And I never dove in, like I said, for myself. And so it was almost like the first time in my life, I'm like, Lord, I just want to put aside everything I think I know, everything that I've been told and taught that I've been living by as the truth. And I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to read your word to understand the truth and not to be right or not to argue my point to other people that had the truth. And so I humbled myself. And can I tell you how faithful God was? I was so serious about this. I did a liquid fast for a week. And I refused to talk to my Christian friends who told me that, they, that what we taught here was unbiblical. I refused to talk to my family who had grown up in that conservative religious church that would rage against these things that I'm going to be sharing with you today. I had to shut all the voices out. And it was like the first time I was able to just listen and hear from God and read his word, actually research who were they talking to in this scripture? What context? What environment? What atmosphere? Who is this word actually for? Who, you know, all of those kinds of things. It was like, for the first time in my life, my eyes were opened. But I had to pray. I was like, Lord, humble me. My prayer was, God, I humble myself. God, remove any, any belief system I've established in my mind, in my heart, and in my soul. I want to know the truth. I humble myself. Remove any scales from my eyes and show me. And I cannot tell you that in that week... It was like, it brought me like to my knees because I realized I've lived 29 years under false truth. And that's why I was so bound and I was so broken and I was sick. And I just, it was like for the first time in my life, my, I, there wasn't noise in my head. Like I felt so at peace and I felt so hopeful that everything could change because I finally read his word, his truth. So shortly after really understanding the truth, I don't want to rush by it, but, but I, I, I need to say, I can't explain everything. I don't have the time, but I was completely healed in my mind. I was healed in my body. I was set free from that debilitating anxiety, suicidal thoughts, depression, and fear. And I actually began to pray in a way that I saw results. I actually started seeing the power of God manifest in my life and other people's lives when I prayed. And up until that point, none of my prayers seemed to ever work. So there was something to what I discovered when I set aside what I had been taught or I thought 
thought I knew, and I went to the Word of God. So I want you to sit and just listen to the three things that changed my life. Again, you don't have to leave agreeing with me, but just listen, because here's the deal. I only have time to scratch the surface of three huge topics, I, and I know I'm scratching the surface. Like, I just want to whet your appetite just to start to think for yourself, to pray, to go to God, to read his word. But here's the thing. Me just hearing, scratching the surface of these things led me to a place of healing and transformation and breakthrough and freedom. And so if I can even reach one person to not live senselessly in torment from just sharing the surface today, then everything I'm about to say is worth it. Even if just one person doesn't have to leave here suffering at the level they came in here with, then this entire message is worth it. I want to talk about three things. One, understanding the will of God, especially in regards to your healing. Two, understanding the reality of demonic oppression. Three, understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. These are the three things that radically transform my life. So, understanding the will of God. More, I'm specifically more speaking in regards to healing with that topic today. What I was taught that everything that happens is God's will. Whether it was good or bad, God allowed it and caused it. What I learned is that God's will doesn't automatically happen. And I learned that his will actually rarely happens. And I learned that we can enforce God's will to happen here on earth through the power of prayer. If God's will automatically happened, then why would he actually, when, when he's teaching us how to pray here on earth, he says, our Father, and, oh, sorry, let me just do this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll just skip to that one part of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're meant to pray God's will to earth through the power of our prayers. And so why would he even teach us to pray that way if his will automatically happened? We wouldn't have to pray his will down to earth because it automatically was already happening, right? So we need to pray that his will be done here on earth because we have an enemy that actively opposes the will of God happening in our lives. And that person that actively opposes it, his name is Satan. John 10.10 10 says, and we're, we're he's, Jesus is talking to the people on earth, us, you and I. The thief, the devil, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. But I have come, Jesus has come, that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So there's an area of your life that where you feel like you're being robbed or destroyed or, or, or you know, there's the, like that darkness around it. God, that, that means that the devil is having his way in your life. If there's an area of your life that you're not living, living in abundance, the abundantly above life that the Bible says Jesus came to give us, then there could be a level of oppression or something going on. You are not experiencing the will of God in that area of your life. And we can learn about what God's will is by obviously reading the scriptures, but also looking at the life of Jesus. Because John 6, 38 says, this is Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus said, I'm here to do the will of the Father. John 5, 19 says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself, talking about Jesus. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, all you need to do is to look at the life of Jesus because Jesus is God's will in action 
in the earth. So what did Jesus do in his time on earth? Let's read a few scriptures. Matthew 4, 23. It says, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Matthew 8, 16 says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. There was scripture after scripture, story after story, and anyone that encountered Jesus was healed. He said he healed them all. He healed them all. He healed them all. All means all. All means all. So if Jesus can only do the will of the Father, the will for your life is healing. That is the will of the Father for your life. So when people say all sickness is from God or or that it's God's will for you to be sick or you gotta love this one, God's trying to teach you something. God's trying to teach you something by making you sick. It is garbage. (laughs) You may learn something through a trial you experience, but God is not trying to teach you something. You understand that God cannot give you something he does not have. There is no sickness in heaven. There is no sickness in God. God cannot give you something he does not have, nor does he allow, he, he is the author of the bad things that happen in your life. God does not cause bad things to happen to you. Oh, if God was so good, why do bad things happen? God has nothing to do with the bad things happening because the Bible says that only good and perfect gifts come from above. Remember, the thief comes except to steal, to kill, and destroy your life. God has come to give you life and life abundantly. So the bad things that happen, is it bringing life and life abundance? No, it's not Jesus. What, what, is, what is the signature of the bad things happening? Steal, destruction, bringing torment. That is the devil's signature. But so many times in our lives, bad things happen and we blame God and we curse God for doing those things to us, but God had nothing to do with it. That terrible chapter of your life was signed off by the devil himself. Himself. That is the devil's signature written all over your pain and your brokenness and your destruction. God has nothing to do with it. God cannot and does not cause bad things to happen to you, and he does not give you sickness. He cannot give you what he does not have. But I want to make sure everyone understands that all sickness is not from Satan, okay? I don't want to, like, blame the devil for everything. Sometimes we have to take responsibility for our own bad choices, The devil didn't have anything to do with it. It's our bad choices and bad behaviors that make us unwell and negative things happening. And so we have to take responsibility now, you know? We have to take responsibility for how we live our lives, the things we do, how we take care of our temple. So let's let's not just blame the devil for everything, but, but how good is God and his grace and his love and his mercy towards us? Healing still is your portion no matter how you got into the mess. And he wants to partner with you to bring healing and life into your bones. Amen? Amen. So, but we have to contend for God's will to happen on the earth because, like I said, there's an enemy who actively opposes it. So it's our responsibility to push back those things that are trying to impact our lives. And we do that through the power of prayer. Prayer is not passive. Prayer is not um, meek. Prayer is powerful. The Bible says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective, meaning they work. They're effective, they work. Our weapon is prayer. 
And we have to learn that we can bind the enemy who's wreaking havoc in our lives. And we do that through prayer. Matthew 18, 18 tells us, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you, you and I, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so, so prayer in part is asking. The Bible talks, talks about you have not because you ask not. We need to ask for the things we're wanting and believing for and all of that. But prayer is only in part asking. Prayer is commanding. Prayer Prayer is declaring, prayer is binding and loosing, prayer is permitting or not permitting things to happen in our lives. Prayer cannot be passive if you want to see the supernatural happen in your life. And so we understand now that it's not God's will for you to be sick, it's not God's will for you to be broken, it's not God's will for you to suffer those kinds of things. And so we don't have to be passive and say, Lord, if it's your will, will you please heal this sickness? No, those are passive of weak, ineffective prayers. If we already know it's God's will that you would be healed, so we have the full weight and the power of the cross and the whipping post behind us when we pray. And so we don't, we don't have to humbly ask cancer to go. We tell it to go in Jesus' name. We don't ask tumors to leave. We command them to shrivel up and die. We don't ask the Lord Jesus to please set someone free from the spirit of addiction. We cast that spirit out in Jesus' name. And that, once you start understanding your authority in prayer and you understand what the will of God is, the Bible talks about you come boldly to the throne of grace. There's no timid passivity prayers in the throne of grace. You come boldly and declare what God's word says over your life, your family's life, this city's lives, and this nation's lives. And when you do that, supernatural things happen. That is what I'm talking about when I said nothing ever worked. All my prayers, it was like, what's the point? Because I was praying, Lord, if you just, could you please? It's like, you don't beg God to do his will in your life. You call it into being. You, you declare those things over your life. And that's when everything, that's when supernatural things start to happen. Amen. Amen. Number two, understanding the reality of demonic oppression and how to deal with it. So I was taught that Christians couldn't be possessed by demonic spirits. I actually agree with that. I don't think Christians can be possessed by demons because Ephesians 1.13 says that when we become born again, when we become saved and forgiven, we are God's possession. However, what I didn't understand is that Christians can be oppressed by demonic spirits. And that's what was happening in my life. And so here's the deal. I get it. I get it. It doesn't make you feel comfortable to know that we can be oppressed by demonic spirits. So there's like evil spirits out there in the world that are trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But we can't pick and choose the parts of the Bible we're comfortable with, right? Okay. So we need to confront this issue of demonic oppression in our lives. And I, and I understand this is weighty to understand, but I will just, just by a show of hands, like those of you who were saved and then got, got set free from a spirit of demonic oppression in your life, just lift your hands just so like, yes, it's a very normal part of ministry. It's not scary. It's a part of the gospel message. How do I know it's a part of the gospel message and a plan for your life? It's because Jesus never sent anyone out without saying, go preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. 
It was never just like, go heal sick people. It was preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. It was a third of Jesus' ministry. Everywhere he went, people got saved, then they got healed, and then they got set free. And so it's a very normal part of Christianity, but we've made it so spooky and weird, and people have shut down this. So I am telling you, Every, there's no way you can get through this life full of sin, unscathed by any level of oppression. All of us have some level of oppression, whether great or small. And what I'm telling you is, you are living under a level of oppression that you are supposed to live over, and that needs to be cast out of your life. So, so when you get saved, you become a Christian. Like demonic oppression doesn't just like leave your life, unfortunately. I wish it did, but the Bible talks about how, how demonic oppression and demonic spirits have to be cast out. Okay, so like I said, I grew up in church at the age of four, but I didn't always uh, got saved at the age of four. I, I didn't always walk with God, though. I, 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 I went my own way. I, I invited, and this is, again, a whole message, but I invited demonic oppression. I gave it legal right. I gave demons legal right to enter and access my life and oppress me when I continued to engage in sinful behavior that was ongoing willingly and even un, or unknowingly or, or knowingly. And so when you continue to engage in sinful behavior and over and over again, you basically are saying, I reject you, God. I receive you, devil. Come in and you get permission to now oppress my life. And so, you know, there's spirits of fear like I talked about before, but being in relationships where you are physically and emotionally abused by um, ungodly men who, who were drug users, you know, a spirit of fear really started to enter my life at that time, and I, and I had to protect myself. And, and so all these things started to happen. I mean, a spirit of rejection, like not really loving myself, walking into a room and feeling like, I don't know if anyone's going to like me or just wanting to stay in the car, always worried what everyone was going to think because I remember spirit of rejection so powerfully coming upon my life when my dad walked out on our family and he, we completely re rejected um, my, my mom and the five of us kids. And so I felt that rejection and you just carried it with you like you were not good enough. You weren't worthy enough to stay. And when I even got set free from a spirit of rejection, I remember God, the Holy Spirit is so beautiful because it wasn't just, it didn't just start when my dad left our family. It started years before that. I was a young girl. God brought this image, this memory to my mind when they were praying against the spirit of rejection over my life. And um, I remember being at a slumber party and the birthday girl, we were all like laying in our sleeping bags and she um, was going around and listing every quality she wanted from each of the girls. Like, so she would pick one. Like, I want, I want Pastor Shelley's hair. Oh my gosh, yes. I want Pastor Jenny's legs. Like, so she was like, you know, going through the hair, the face, the whatever, the height. And then she got to me and she kind of just like paused. And right there, like my little heart started racing. I was like seven or eight years old. I started racing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like she doesn't have anything to say. And then all of a sudden she just goes, um, I'll take Becky's shoe size. And I was like, oh, it was so embarrassing. And I just remember going, she doesn't like one thing about how I look. I must not be pretty. And I carried that from that moment. And then I, I took every comment as like, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. And so I lived with this rejection that only grew into other things, you know, as, as I was older. And, and so there was so many demonic spirits in my life. And nothing ever changed because I was just passively praying about that. I wasn't commanding or casting out. I didn't even know to do that. For 29 years, I did not know that that's how you get rid of those things.
It was destroying me. It was destroying our marriage. You know, and so I realized, I was taught that, or I learned that you cannot deal with a spiritual problem with natural weapons. And I learned that you cannot medicate a demon, that it actually has to be cast out. And so, because the Bible talks about in Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. But God has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. And so these, these demonic spirits oppress our life. Um, and, then, and then they have to be cast out with authority. And when I learned about this, and I realized that I couldn't, deal with this naturally. It wasn't, an, it wasn't another counseling session. It wasn't more journaling. It wasn't more passive prayers. I needed to go to someone who understood their power and authority in Jesus Christ. And I submitted myself and say, I don't want to live like this anymore. And it was through one powerful encounter with someone asserting the authority that Jesus Christ had given them over my life and over those spirits that I was completely set free in a moment. No more fear, no more depression, no more sickness, no more torment. I mean, it's amazing. Here's the thing, none of that would have ever changed if I didn't get cast out. Like I said, you cannot just medicate or self-help your way or journal through a spiritual problem. You have to go head to head with a spiritual problem so you cannot naturally handle it. And unless you address the spiritual root of those things, nothing will ever break. So I just wanna, I help, wanna help you understand that you know, demonic oppression sounds super creepy. And, and it's not all like what Hollywood depicts. It's not all levitating. It's not all foaming at the mouth. It's not all eyes rolling back. It's not, you know, all the growling and the things like that that you see. I think they've captured something. Hollywood has done actually one thing right. They've captured the demonic. And, and those things go real life. With, with severe levels of oppression and bondage and witchcraft and all of these things, I mean, we've seen it. Pastor John and Teresa are here. They're our pastoral care directors. Our home base is Balboa, but they're here today. You know, Pastor uh, Dana and Joel, Pastor Shelley. Like, we've all ministered to people where we've had those kind of encounters. And those encounters don't scare us. They don't ruffle our feathers because we know we have authority. And once we assert it, that person's going to be set free. And so it's nothing to be scared about. But I'll tell you this. We see that less than what we see. It's very subtle. I'm telling you, if you have... This is, this is, someone told me this, and it was so helpful. If you have difficulty operating in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, those things, then without great difficulty, there could be a level of demonic oppression in your life. If there's things, patterns, behaviors, struggles going around the same mountain, and you can't quite seem to stop, there could be a level of demonic oppression that is fueling that behavior that you'll never be able to manage on your own. It needs to be cast out. So it's not all these crazy things. Sometimes just those little things, those mindsets that you're never gonna be good enough. Or you live so afraid of what man thinks of you. There's a spirit of a fear of man. There's so many things that can oppress our lives, but we need to be set free with God's power and God's authority. Amen. Amen. The third thing. Ooh, sorry, I've got to backtrack. I've got to. Because we want to, I want to really talk about healing. And this, this is challenging for people to understand. 
I think when you've been told so many years that sickness is sickness and it's a medical issue and doctors have told you over and over again that you're going to be sick forever or this or that, um, I want to just share with you that, you know, not all sickness is a medical problem. There are spirits of infirmity. And, but the thing why it's so tricky to discern is because a spirit of infirmity manifests like a medical sickness. I'll tell you that uh, probably four or five times in my ministry life, I've prayed for people that had bipolar disorder. I'm not saying everyone with a mental health disorder has a demon. I'm not saying that. But I've had four to five all women um, come forward and talk about how, you know, most of them had someone in their generational line that suffered from it and they were diagnosed with it and they were on medication. And, but they wanted to be healed. And just hearing their stories, I recognized that their particular situations were not a medical thing, that it was a spirit of infirmity. And every single one had the exact same type of manifestation and they all were completely set free. When I not prayed for healing, I cast out the spirit of infirmity and they were all set free, every single one of them. Not all sickness needs healing. Sometimes you need to cast out a spirit of infirmity. I remember the one of the most potent examples that I can remember where this has happened is that uh, Pastor John and I were ministering in Tasmania. I didn't know it was an actual place. I thought it was just like in that cartoon character. Like it was a cartoon character. I didn't know it was actually a place you could go to. But we were invited to go minister there. So, so Pastor John and I are in Tasmania. And, you know, we ministered all week and, and all weekend. And, and I remember, we, you know, they wanted John and I to pray for people that need healing or freedom or whatever it may be. So they opened up the altar calls. And I think we prayed for like three and a half hours after we had preached. Because we were the only ones praying. Because <laughs> um, I think a lot of this was unfamiliar to them. And they brought forward to me this really distinguished gentleman in a three-piece suit, lovely man. And we chatted for a little bit and they told me that he, the doctors couldn't help him anymore, that he was diagnosed with this rare cancer and he needs a miracle or he was going to die. So we just started chatting and he started to tell me that, you know, three generations back, all the men in his family had this extremely rare cancer and that he was given a death sentence. And just being around ministry for so long, understanding the Bible, um, I know that spirits can actually pass down to three and four generations. That's what the Bible talks about um, in the book of Numbers, I believe it is. And so um, he's just sharing me. I'm like, this this isn't, and just something was like, it was the Holy Spirit saying, this isn't, this isn't sickness, this is a spirit. And so I just said, I'm gonna pray for you. And I didn't say, Lord, we just pray for healing to come. I didn't start with that. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come against the spirit of infirmity. And the second I said spirit of infirmity, this amazing, beautiful man just started screaming in a scream that is not humane. And he, his whole body crumpled into a ball and he, and he just fell straight to the floor. And he, and you know, a lot of people ran out of the room at this point. Um, but I'm like, I, I've got to finish like what God has started. And so I just went after some other things where I, I'm, I'm familiar with different spirits that can attach to a spirit of infirmity. And so we just kept, I just kept praying over him. And then finally the screaming and the tense and all, and the rigidness all stopped. And he just like went limp and he was, he was like asleep on the floor. 
for quite some time. And me knowing that he had no idea what probably happened, um, I just kind of got down on the floor next to him and I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable when he woke up, you know? So I laid down on the floor and I just made sure that when he opened his eyes, he would at least see me smiling. <laughs> and um, he, he just opened his eyes and he, was, he just started crying. He's like, what happened? What happened to me? And I just said, you were set free. You're not gonna be sick anymore. And God healed him. God healed him from that very moment. So can you see why we have to talk about these truths that are hard to understand for some people? We've never been taught it. We've never read it in the Word. We thought it was only for Bible times and not for today. It couldn't be farther from the truth. So it pains me. It makes my heart ache to know we have so many churches all across America in this, and in this city that refuse to believe in this power of prayer, that refuse to believe that demonic oppression still exists. And so many people are bound I just pray the church as a whole has an awakening. People need this. You look, you, it takes you two seconds to look at the world and the state of people's lives and souls and spirits to know that they're tormented by demonic spirits. We've got to learn to not just be free for ourselves and get free, but to then operate in these things, to go out there and minister to a broken and hurting world. And no medication, no surgery, no nothing will help those beautiful people that are lost and deceived until they have a powerful encounter with the living God that can set them free in a moment. Amen? Amen. Okay. I'm going to hit the last one. Understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was taught that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for Bible times and that once the Bible was written, it no longer applied to Christianity. But what I learned is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or receiving your heavenly prayer language or speaking in tongues was actually, you get access to all believers. And it's one of the most powerful tools to see your prayers be answered. And here's the thing, you don't have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No one's gonna make you, but I think if you understand the power of it, you'd be crazy not to want it. And so the Bible talks about, like I said, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all of that, but then there's nine gifts of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they talk about that in 1 Corinthians 12. There's gifts of wisdom, prophecy, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. So there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's undeniable that they were listed. There's nine fruits, nine gifts. But it's so interesting how the church at large has decided that they want to cancel two of the gifts of the Holy Spirit out. Because again, they're not comfortable with it. They can't understand it with their earthly mind. And so they want to actually cut off and cancel two of the nine gifts that God said is for us. And there's a reason why he wants us to have those things. You know, Matthew tells us in three, uh, Matthew 3, 11, this is John the Baptist speaking, and he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In this moment, John's baptizing with water, and he makes a clear distinction that there's another baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will experience that if you want to receive it. And we see the full fruition of what he was talking about in the book of Acts, the early church. And Jesus is talking to his followers right now, like you and I, like Christians, believers that believe in Jesus. Acts 1, 4 uh, through 5 and verse 8. So all these people that were going to follow Jesus, it's like, okay, I've risen from the dead. You need to go out now and make disciples, baptizing that, you know, just all go, go out there, the Great Commission, like preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick. And he says, but you can't do that until you receive power. And so he tells all of his followers to wait until they receive power to go out to be effective believers, Christians. And so they didn't know what power was going to look like. And so they're all waiting. And it says, as they began, they assembled together with them. Jesus commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. And then when the day had come where they were gonna receive this power, Acts 2 tells us that they were all gathered together like a place like this. And then all of a sudden, a sound of a rushing mighty wind came through the building. And it says there was tongues of fire that rested on each and every person. And Acts 2, 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Receiving power, receiving the Holy Spirit, when you speak in tongues, it acts as a receipt that you've received power. And then it says when they were filled with power, then God said, now go out into the world because you're going to need this power because it's my power that's going to heal the sick. It's my power that's going to cast out demons. It's my power that's going to get your, your prayers answered. And so what I struggle with so much, and here's the thing, if I, when I first heard this, I heard this growing up, even in my college years, and I walked out of churches. That's not for today. That's unbiblical. It's demonic. Where do you find that in the Bible? That it's unbiblical and demonic. But I believed it. That was my truth. And that's what kept me bound from receiving the answers to my prayers because I had no power when I prayed. And so the problem is that again, because people aren't comfortable with this gift, that churches completely shut down this gift in churches. And you wonder why there's people like me that go to church for 29 years, that feel hopeless, that feel depressed, that feel stuck, that nothing's ever gonna change because I've completely shut out the Holy Spirit, who's the one that has the power to set me free. And I think the devil, here's the thing, the devil doesn't attack. Like, you know, people aren't freaking out and like mad if someone gets healed. It's cool. People aren't all up in arms when someone has a gift of wisdom and shares wisdom with them. No one's pissed off when 
Someone gives them a prophetic word that changes the course of their life. Everyone can handle that. But oh, is there rage? Is there contention? Is there, is there uh, shutting down? The second you even say the word tongues, it's like you shut off and you're like, no, I've got to get up and out of this place. No one's mad about the other gifts. You wonder why the devil makes so many people confused about this and actually to preach and believe against it because the devil doesn't really care that you're saved. Yeah, he's ticked off that he isn't gonna drag you to hell after you die. But you know what he's really ticked off about is when you understand that you have power because then he knows you have a power and authority over him. So he rages against this gift because it's the one that carries the power of God to set the captives free. So just think about it. Think about it. There's a reason why the church rages. People rage against this gift. In the last service, no one left until I literally said the word tongues and there was a group of people all across the place and they just exited. They were okay with talking about the other ones. But the second I literally said tongues, there is warfare around this gift because it's the one that the devil knows will ruin him. <coughs> Amen. And that's just the power part. The amazing part about the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongue, the Bible says that when you pray in a tongue, and here's the, here's the biggest trigger. I get it. I need to clarify. The biggest trigger, oh, you can't speak in tongues. There's no interpreter. I said it. I argued this all the time. You can't be doing that. That's, un, that's unbiblical. The Bible says you can't speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 20, 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there need, let there be two or at most three each in turn, and let, then let one interpret. But there, there's no interpreter. Let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. The context of this scripture was that it was saying, if someone's gonna get up on this microphone, if I just shared with you for 37 minutes a message speaking in tongues and no one understood what I was saying, the Bible even says that's fruitless. What's the point? Don't do that, weirdos. Like it doesn't impact anyone. They don't even know what you're saying. I agree. We agree. But that's if someone's gonna give a word for their church, there needs to be an interpreter. But if I'm sitting over here during the book of miracles or I'm praying at a prayer meeting and I'm praying in tongues, I don't need to give you an interpretation because the Bible says he who prays in a tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, speaks to, not to men, but to God. I am praying to God and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to intercede on my behalf, praying the perfect prayer, the Bible says. So I don't need to tell you what I'm praying. That's not your business. And by the way, I don't even know what I'm praying. All I know is that I'm praying the perfect prayer of faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we pray in a tongue. And He does that. God does that because it's like God's overriding system because when we pray with our earthly language, it's usually filled with some doubt or unbelief or double-mindedness or negative thinking. So God gave us the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues so that when we pray in tongues, we are praying the perfect prayer and it will not be tainted by our unbelief or lack of faith. That's when I say, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues and praying in tongues every day, I saw more miracles and more breakthroughs happen in my life because I was praying the perfect prayer and the Holy Spirit was interceding on my behalf. Why would we not want to pray the perfect prayer and allow the Holy Spirit himself 
to intercede on our behalf. I'm so over time. I'll tell you one story. I know we're talking, I just said that because I think, I just feel like I need to reiterate the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's so much angst around it. Just one silly story, powerful though. So when you're praying in tongues, you, you're praying the perfect prayer, full of faith, not doubting. And so um, just like one time, I, so I, I, you know, choose to pray in tongues all the time because I want to pray the perfect prayer. I don't even know, the world's such a mess, I don't even know what to pray for anymore half the time. I don't know what battles my kids might be facing they're not telling me about. I pray in tongues over my children. And, and I remember one day I thought, so John and I were like trying to get this home and it was like everything was falling through and it wasn't happening and, and we needed a miracle. And I was feeling so defeated and in a moment I had no faith left in me to actually believe that it could happen. So I knew I can't pray in English right now. I'm just gonna pray in tongues. And so I was like on the 52 freeway, just praying in tongues. Um, and I thought, I started praying in tongues. I thought I was gonna be praying for my house. Um, but right when I started praying, and, and I just felt like I need to pray in tongues. So I just started praying in tongues. And I remember being, you know, going 65, 70 miles an hour. And then just out of nowhere, like traffic, just, I don't know if an accident happened. I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I was going 65. And I had moments just to slam on my brakes to not like have this huge pile up at 65 miles an hour. This is all like in a few seconds, but it was like it was like time slowed down. And I remember just looking in my rear view mirror and I see this F-150 just pummeling towards me. Like he was looking down. I could see him. That's how close he was. It was all so fast. And I just was, I, I just, I didn't even stop praying in tongues. I just like was praying in tongues and I just yelled Jesus. And then at the last second, I had time, I had just enough time to turn my wheel and I punched my accelerator and right at the last minute he looked up and he slammed on his brakes, just shooting me off into the ravine. I came this close to hitting a tree and on the other side of the tree was a, um, a valley. I would have completely, I've been completely crushed here by the F-150 or completely just demolished down this ravine, this valley. And I remember just, I was shaking and I, and I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, you were praying to save your life. And I felt it so strongly. It's like, oh my gosh, I, I was interceding for my own life and I didn't even know. And that's just one of the many, many stories where God has done miraculous things through the power of the Holy Spirit and praying in our heavenly prayer language. So thanks for hanging in there for that, guys. I know it can be a lot. It was a lot for me, all these things. But I had to tell you, because you need it and my God, the world needs it. The world needs the power of God, not just his principles. Amen. Amen. So I want to do uh, one thing as I close. I definitely want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior so he can start this beautiful transformation journey, you know, for you. But I also, at the end of the service, we're going to have our ministers up here, all of them capable to operate in freedom, deliverance, get you baptized in the Holy Spirit. But if 
one of those three things, or maybe all three of those things, you felt like, oh my gosh, I need prayer for that, or I want to receive that gift, we'll be able to pray with you, and you can stay and get ministered to after the service. But, but all of that, it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're in here, today is your opportunity to receive Jesus. Can I tell you, I'll just be bold. I'm sorry. Watching Hero six times, I've watched it six times out of eight times. I have two kids in it. I don't know if I would watch it that much. Every time at the health scene, I, I shudder and I cry. Because what people don't understand, they think they can just live lives of sin and not give their life to Jesus and there'll be no consequence. But I really feel like for the first time in the Hero production, we depicted hell probably it, it's the, the most clear image you get of hell and, the, and, and people go there when they reject Jesus after they die if you refuse to accept Jesus he doesn't want you to go there the Bible says he's pursuing you until your very last breath but if you continue to reject him and you walk out these doors and you don't know when your life is going to be snuffed out you will go to that place that was only created for the devil and his angels but you reject God that's where you go and I just sit there and I'm just I'm like God we've got to reach people like I mean, yes, God wants heaven air on earth for you, but you do not want to go to that place. And I usually don't use this as my ending altar call, but I've been so weighted down by it, the depravity and the sin and the reality of hell. No one is promised tomorrow. Yes, God's going to set you free and do all these things that I talked about, but your eternity is on the line. You don't know. God forbid anyone sat under this message and did not take the opportunity to surrender their life to Jesus, even though they still have questions. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every single person in this place, Lord. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just stir on their heart, God, that they would recognize, Lord, that it's their time, it's their moment to surrender their lives to you. God, even with their questions, the one thing I hope they realize is that they need you no matter what. Lord, and I just pray right now for anyone in who has never surrendered their life to you, that has never received forgiveness for their sins, has never made you Lord and Savior of their life. I pray that they would do that today. And while no one is looking around, while every head is bowed and eye is closed, I want to include you in a prayer. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, will you please lift your hand up just so I can see it, just so I know who to include in my prayer. Yes, I see you, beautiful, beautiful in the pink. Yes, I see you there in the black tank top and then the white sweater it looks like next to her. Lord Jesus, yes. Who else am I waiting on? Who else am I waiting on? Yes, once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Lord, thank you. Who else am I waiting on? Thank you, God. Yes, I see your hand over here right towards the front in the back. Come on, who else? Yes, thank you. In the leather jacket, I see you. Thank you, Jesus. I just know there's a couple more. 30 more seconds, a couple more. Yes, thank you, beautiful. Yes, you too, gorgeous ladies towards the back. Who else? Thank you, God. Yes, I see your hand. Sir, with that button up. Thank you, God. Jesus. Last call on the count of three. Yes, I see you. 
If no one, if you have not yet lifted your hand, I'm going to give you the count of three so you don't even have to think about it. One, two, three. Just lift your hand nice and high. Yes, I see you up in the back, sir. Yes. Yes, in the blue. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God, I praise you, Jesus. Come on, let's all stand to our feet and just give a huge shout of praise to God. So many people crossed over from hell into heaven today. A life filled with joy and peace instead of torment. God, I thank you. Thank you. Let's all pray this prayer together, especially those of you who lived. There were so many of you that lifted your hands. One of our friends are going to want to come to you and give you a Bible and a book after the service. Please come forward for prayer if you need it. But let's all pray this salvation prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place, taking my punishment for my sin so that I could be forgiven. Thank you for saving me, for setting me free, for healing me. Help me, Lord Jesus, walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give God a huge shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.